Well, hello, everybody, and I hope you're doing well on this Labor Day weekend. And now, welcome to those of you joining us from our campuses and Ada Bible Church online. If this is your first time here, my name's Aaron. I'm a teaching pastor here, and uh, I get to lead us through the the finale, I guess, of this uh, four-part series on the church. But uh, before I jump into that, I want to let you know what's coming next week, because Pastor Jeff is going to be kicking off a brand new series for us. And uh, here it is. It's called Navigating Emotions. Now, what this is, is going to be... exploring four pretty challenging emotions that all of us deal with, anger, sadness, fear, and desire, and exploring them through a biblical perspective, a scriptural lens. How do we navigate, how do we manage emotions like that? So navigating emotions, I think this is going to be a great series for our church, and I want to challenge you to consider somebody that you could invite friend, coworker, family member, but also as you think about who could I invite to this series, keep in mind somebody that you used to see, that used to sit a couple rows from where you're sitting right now, used to bump into them in the atrium, invite them to be a part of this series as well. So that's next week with Pastor Jeff navigating emotions. Now this week, Today, as we wrap up this four-part series, The Church, uh, let's uh, just kind of a little fantasy situation here as we begin. Uh, Let's say that you won a trip or or like a wealthy relative just gifted you a vacation. I I know this is fantasy, but just play along. Like, where would you want to go? If you got a free week of vacation anywhere in the world, where would you pick I know some of you are just going, give me a beach, give me a resort, you know, especially after the last couple weeks, those of you who are parents getting the kids all ready for school, it's like, get me out of here. Others of you, you're going, always wanted to go to Europe. And so someplace like Paris and just being over in Europe for a week would just be phenomenal. Others are going, forget about people. All I need is a fly rod and a river, okay? That's all I need for just a fantastic week away. Now, for me, if I got a free trip, somebody gifted me a trip or I won some kind of trip, I'm a little bit of a nerd, okay? History nerd uh, for sure, but this is where I would go. Someplace like this where there's ruins of ancient cultures, particularly Greek and Roman ruins. You're probably going, that's so boring. I'm going, oh, it's incredible. I mean, I'm just so into this stuff. I could probably tell you what every building in this picture here in the Acropolis in Athens, what it's called and what it was about. Yes, I'm a total history nerd. But what gets me is like, that was built like over 3,000 years ago. And I'm just going like, how? How did you do that? It's on the top of a mountain. It's massive. They did not have electricity and engines. And it's like, how in the world did you do that? And particularly when it comes to just ancient civilization, uh, civilizations, the temples. This is the temple of Hephaestus, the god of like metalworking. Uh, and this, is, again, is in Athens. But these buildings, and uh, they just fascinate me. So if I got a free trip, I'd be heading to some place where people probably don't even live anymore, just ruins of, of stones, having a great time. But this idea of ancient civilizations and temples in particular, this is where I want to turn our attention to today. Because as we wrap up this series on the church, what is the church? What did God have in mind for us as a gathering of Jesus' followers? We've been walking through four images, four metaphors that we find in the scriptures. Of course, week one, uh, we talked about the church is a family. 
It's not just a building, it's a family that you're a part of. And, and week two, it's a body, a body that you belong to. Last week uh, is the, was the bride. You are the bride of Christ. And today, we're going to be exploring this idea that the church is the temple of God. And we're going to be spending some time in First. Uh, Peter, which is a letter in our New Testament. It was written by one of Jesus' original 12, one of his followers, his disciples. Of course, this guy's name was Peter. And he was writing a letter to brand new believers, first generation Jesus followers living in the Roman Empire. Now, people who grew up in the Roman Empire, they totally understood this deal about temples because there were temples everywhere. I mean, they had a bazillion gods because it was a, you know, the Roman and Greek pantheon and those temples were just in every city, in every town. So these people understood temples. But Peter wants to draw them into a different kind of temple, into the Jewish understanding of the temple, the temple of the one true God in Jerusalem. And so it's key for us, just like those original readers, to understand what God was trying to do, what his purpose was for his temple. And so we did an entire series a couple months ago on uh, the temple in the Bible. It's called the dwelling place. And so if this concept interests you, you could go back and check that out. And I just want to draw a couple uh, ideas from that series about what the temple of God was all about, kind of to set the stage for our conversation today about what it means for us as the church to consider ourselves and lean into this idea that you are the temple of God. So the first thing I would bring up is that when God called his people to, to build a, well, it started out as a tent. You know, it wasn't a building. It started out as a tent called the tabernacle. He asked them to build this structure because he wanted to live among them. He wanted to dwell among them. And so near the beginning of the Bible in Exodus, we find these words. Then the cloud, representing the presence of God, covered the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle, the original temple. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's like God came in and he lived in the tabernacle, which was in the center of the camp. So first thing I want you to understand here is that God asked his people to make a tent, make a temple, because he wanted to be near them, to be among them. He wanted to put his presence with them. That's important to understanding what it means to be temple. Now, uh, here's a picture. This is from a model. There's this uh, fantastic model of like uh, first century uh, Jerusalem that you can find at a museum in Jerusalem. I forget what it's called, but uh, this is part of that model. And this is not Solomon's temple from the Old Testament, but Herod's temple. So this is like the temple Jesus would have walked through and taught in. But there was a point in Israel's history where Solomon built a physical building. So tent gone, temple in, and this structure, or one very similar to it, became the center for worship in the Jewish world. I mean, all the festivals that they celebrated, like Passover, all the people would come in to this temple. This is where the sacrificial system happened, where people would bring their animals and different offerings. It would all happen here. The temple was a center for worship. 
So the temple's about God's presence, and it's also about worship. And then something else I think is important here is a map. And again, I'm trying to condense an entire series into like five minutes. But uh, here's Jerusalem. Okay, you got the Mediterranean Sea. Down here would be Egypt and over here, modern day Iraq, Iran, places like that. Now, when God called his people to himself and gave them the land, the promised land, and established his temple in Jerusalem, where he put Israel and where he put his temple was very strategic. Because this, although it may not look like it, was like a crossroads of the ancient world. Egypt was a world superpower. Over here, there were several world superpowers, Assyria and Babylon and later Persia. And you wouldn't travel through here because it's the Arabian desert. I mean, you go there and you, you're not going to make it. And so like if Egypt was invading, they go right through Israel. If Babylon was invading, they go right through Israel. Trade, invasion, travel, all right through Israel, right by the temple. Why did God do this? Because he wants to be known. He put his temple at the crossroads of the world so that his people could declare to the world the greatness of God. And so just a couple important things about temple as we step into this conversation. It's all about God's presence. It's all about worship. And it's all about declaring who God is to the world. And so here's an image that we've been using throughout this series. And uh, throughout the series, you know, there's been a, uh, a body, there's been a bride over there, there's been a family over there, and today there's a temple. And what I would like to suggest that is this, being part of a church, being part of Ada Bible Church, <laughs> the church is not a building. The church is not just something that you go to. What we're gonna to discover today is that being part of the church of Jesus Christ is a calling and a responsibility to be the temple of God. Some of the things that God called Israel to be in the Old Testament, he is calling us to be in the world today. And so friends, uh, being invited in or called into this idea of being the temple of God, this is a responsibility for us and a challenge for us. And so I guess this is not gonna be one of those sermons that was, you know, hey, that was great information. That was very encouraging. What's for lunch? <laughs> no, this is gonna be a call to action. And if we're gonna step into, as, as a group together, if we're gonna step into this calling, it's gonna require something from us. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that uh, walking into a church building, sitting down and standing up and walking out and doing that week after week, that's not going to get us to the temple of God. God is going to ask us to step into something today. It's an invitation and a responsibility. So here's where we're headed. We're going to spend some time with Peter's letter to early Christians. Uh, second chapter of First Peter is where we'll be. And as we explore, we're gonna find three purposes that God has for his temple that is known as the church. And so the first of these purposes is what I'm calling experience. And I mentioned this before, God put his very presence in the temple. And so part of being the temple of God known as the church is this idea of experiencing the presence of God. So here's what Peter has to say as uh, 
the second chapter begins, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, there is a lot going on in these words, so let's just unpack it a little bit. As you come to him, remember, he's writing to first-generation Roman believers. They're coming to Jesus from the temple of Zeus and from the temple of Apollo, and and so they are coming to him, and, and Peter calls Jesus the living stone. A few verses later, quoting uh, Psalms and also the prophet Isaiah, he'll call Jesus the cornerstone. And the idea is that everything that God is doing in the world, he is doing through Jesus. He is building upon Jesus. And you and I, as believers, are part of it because he says that you also, like living stones in a similar way to Jesus, are being built up into a spiritual house. You and I are being built together on Jesus to build a structure that Peter calls a spiritual house. What is a spiritual house? It's a temple. It's just a different way of saying temple. And so what Peter is saying is that the temple is not marble and stone anymore. Now it is you. It is you, and it is you, and it is you, and it is me as living stones being built upon Jesus. We are the temple. Now, imagine how strange this would have been to try to explain to somebody in the Roman Empire in the first century. I mean, imagine you're a Jesus follower, and you you have this job at a mill, and you got this person that you work with and you've been trying to share Jesus with them very quietly because it's illegal to be a Jesus follower, but you're trying to share Jesus with this person. And they're curious, they're full of questions. And and one of the questions they keep bringing up is about the temple. Because it's like, okay, okay, I understand, you know, you keep saying that Jesus is a God and you know, he, he came back from the dead, I understand that, but where's his temple? Because all the gods have temples, and if Jesus is a god, where's his temple? And you're going, well, um, I mean, he doesn't have one. He doesn't have a temple. Well, he does, but it's, it, you know, it doesn't have pillars. It's not made of marble. It's <laughs> Okay, when we get together, the Jesus followers, when we get together and we share a meal, and, and when we pray together, and when we open the scriptures, that's the temple, what? Yeah, no, it's, it's us together. <laughs> so you can imagine how weird this would have been to try to explain to people who were steeped in temple culture. It's that, no, 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 the temple's not a building. It is the gathering of the people. Now, you might already know this, but the word church that's used in the New Testament It comes from a Greek word, so the New Testament, most of it was written in Greek, it's been translated into English, and the word that's used for church is called ekklesia. And what that means is the called out assembly or the called out gathering. It's, you know, the people who are called out to follow Jesus, what is the church? It's the assembly, it's the gathering of those people. It's not a building, it is the relationships, it's the gathering, it's the assembling of those people. In fact, Jesus followers in the ancient world, they didn't meet in church buildings for something like 300 
years. And so the temple, friends, is us. It's not this building, it's not the campus you're watching from, it is us together. So why does this matter? It's kind of like great information, kind of like who cares? Um, okay, what's, what's the purpose of the temple? Well, one of the purposes of the temple from the very beginning is that God's presence would dwell in the temple. The temple was where you would go to experience the presence of God. And so this is wild, but God has placed his presence in a unique way in us as the gathering of God's people. Now, of course, if you are a Jesus follower, if, you're, if you are in Christ, you can have an experience with God alone by yourself anywhere at any time. And that's because of what Jesus accomplished through the cross and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can have an experience with God anywhere at any time. That's true and it's an incredible gift. But at the same time, there is an experience with the presence of God in a unique way that can only happen in the gathering of his people. There is a unique expression of God's presence that can only happen in the gathering. It's like God shows up in a special way in the gathering of his people. So what this means is that, you know, every, every morning, at least I try to, every morning I try to pray. It's a way that I connect with God. For me, I journal my prayers. That might not be how you do it, but, but this is an important aspect of my relationship with Jesus. But at the same time, there is something special and unique that happens when I meet with my small group and we pray together. Because God shows up in a special way in the gathering. And something else I do as I express my faith is, uh, this might sound kind of strange, but when I drive around, a lot of times I listen to worship music. And sometimes I even sing. I'm like that weird guy at the stoplight that's you know, belting it out in my car, and you're like, what is up with that guy? Yeah, I'm listening to worship music. I think it's so good to, to focus my mind and my heart on lyrics that are about God, that are scriptural. I think, I think it's a good thing to do. And at the same time, there is something that happens when we gather and sing together that I can't experience alone in my car. I mean, just a couple weeks ago, I went to uh, the worship night that we had at the East Paris campus, and I'm, I'm guessing a bunch of you were there as well. I'm telling you, there was something special that happened there because God shows up in a unique way in the gathering. And also, like reading the scriptures, this is something, again, I try to do every morning. I try to read or listen to the scriptures. I think you should do the same. It's vital to my faith. But at the same time, there is something unique and special that happens when we gather and open the scriptures together. I mean, when we're in the row together with Bibles open or Bible apps open, listening to the scriptures being taught. And I've talked with so many of you who have said something like this. It just feels like Pastor Jeff is speaking right to me, like he read my emails or something. Listen, he didn't. 
And he's not speaking right to you, but the Holy Spirit, God's presence, is moving in the gathering. It's just throughout the scriptures we see this, that God has placed his unique presence in the temple. And friends, we are that temple. So God shows up in a special way that that you and I can't experience on our own. Now, what this means is that if you are not, to use Peter's words, being built up together relationally in the community, into the temple, then you're missing out on something special. I mean, if you're not in a small group, if you only are watching online, if you haven't plugged your kids into our children's ministry, Discovery Village, or Lifeline, our student ministry, if you haven't found a place to serve in the church family, you're missing out on something special. And I, and I don't mean this to be like a guilt trip, okay? Like, get it together. I, I don't mean that. I mean, this is an invitation that God has for us to experience him in a special and unique way. And so my encouragement for you would be to lean in, to engage, to take a next step, to be a part of this community. Because as crazy as it sounds and incredible as it is, that God has chosen to place his presence in a special way in his temple. And we are that temple. And it's amazing and it's incredible and that special gift of his presence There's something that God wants from us. There's something that he expects from us, I think, because of this gift. And that's actually the second purpose I want to share with you about a temple. As we said earlier, the temple in Jerusalem was the center of worship for the Jewish people. The temple is always a center for worship. And so we are called to worship. Worship, to express devotion and gratitude and adoration to God, to tell him how much he means to us. That's what we're called to do. Peter continues writing. Some of this we've already seen. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are your living stones, you're being built up, and then there's this purpose This purpose statement right here. Why? To be a holy priesthood. This is kind of wild. You and I are the temple of God, and we are called to a particular role in that temple, and that is to be priests. You and I are called to be priests. Now, your mind might be jumping to this, okay? And I just want to clarify, uh, this is not, I don't think, what Peter had in mind. Uh, No collar required, no vowel celibacy. You know, some of you are breathing a sigh of relief right now. Um, Now, no offense to anybody that grew up Roman Catholic, uh, but I don't think this is what Peter has in mind here. Just the next picture might be more helpful. It's kind of a strange picture, but this this is a depiction of an ancient Jewish priest. I think this is more what Peter has in mind. And and what did priests do in the temple? There's actually several things, but what I think he's focusing in on here is that priests facilitated worship. I mean, a regular person like you and I shows up at the temple, the the priest helps that person, person worship God. And the 
main way that they did that was, uh, here's a drawing of uh, a sacrifice. Priests offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. That's what they did. And there, and there were a variety of sacrifices that were offered at the Jewish temple. I mean, you could offer a grain sacrifice, uh, thanksgiving for the harvest. There were incense offerings. And of course, there were animal sacrifices. But this, this is a central part of what it means to be the temple. Is It's a center for worship. So you and I, Peter says, are priests called to worship God. And of course, this might be obvious, but that's kind of why the beginning of our services at Ada Bible Church involves singing, because singing is our way to worship God. Now, something you might be wondering, thinking about, or perhaps, uh, perhaps you're more skeptical, uh, exploring faith, you talk about, okay, God gives us his presence, and there's something that he wants from us, and that thing that he wants from us is worship. So, like, what's up with that? Does God need our worship? I mean, it's like the ancient understanding of temples and gods. Like the reason that you brought an animal sacrifice to Zeus, for example, is because Zeus needed to eat, and his food was the sacrifice. That's the way that the ancients understood it. Does God need our worship for some reason? And to respond to that, I want to take you back to an experience I had uh, as we were coming out of the COVID shutdowns. Now, I know nobody wants to remember that time, but, but do you remember, those of you who are a part of our church at that time, when we were just fully online, we, weren't, we were not allowed to gather, and so we, you know, all, our services were online. And then I, what I remember very vividly was the first Sunday that we came back and gathered together. And what I remember was the singing because the voices of the people gathered together and singing out, I'm telling you, I, I couldn't get the words out. And I am not an emotional person. Like, I'm probably never going to cry up here. That's just not me. But I had tears in my eyes, and I could not sing the words because I was overwhelmed. And there was just like this feeling like I, I didn't realize how much I missed this of being together and gathering together and worshiping God. I didn't realize how much I need this. And friends, I think that's what it is. God doesn't need our worship. We need to worship. We were made to worship. We were created for a relationship with an infinite God. And the way that we respond to him in all of his beauty and his goodness and his power is through worship. He doesn't need it, but we do. And so that, that is why he invites us and calls us to be priests offering worship. Now, something else that's strange about what Peter's writing here is this idea that you and I are priests. And if you know the scriptures, perhaps you, you know, you're familiar with the story of the Bible and, and who Jesus is and what he accomplished through the cross, you just might be going like, I, I thought we didn't need priests anymore. Because priests offer sacrifices, you know, when, when you wanted to uh, take care of your sin, you would come to the temple, the priest would offer a sacrifice on your behalf, so your sin was forgiven. And, and you might just be thinking, like, isn't that what Jesus did? You know, he went to the cross and he gave his life as an ultimate sacrifice to pay for your sin so that we don't need a temple 
and we don't need priests. We don't need anybody mediating on our behalf. God, we have full access to God now through Jesus. So why, why would Peter be saying that we're priests? It doesn't make sense. Well, there's no physical temple, you're right. There is now a spiritual temple that is us, and we are priests, not called to mediate between others and God, but to worship him. By what does Peter say? Offering not physical sacrifices, not sacrifices of, of grain and incense and animals, but, but spiritual sacrifices. That's how we worship God. And what does he mean by spiritual sacrifices? Well, something that Paul wrote. Paul, first century leader in the ancient uh, world, uh, in, the, in the church, wrote much of the New Testament. He, like Peter, also wrote about the church's temple and believers as priests. And so a letter that he wrote to believers living in the heart of the Roman Empire, Rome itself, I think is helpful for understanding what Peter has in mind here. Peter, or, uh, Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, look, in light of what Jesus has done for you, do this. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. If you want to talk about real worship, pure, the purest and highest level of worship, Paul says, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. In other words, what is a spiritual sacrifice? It's a living sacrifice. It is your life lived in worship. And this is important because what this means is that worship doesn't just happen in a church building. Worship can happen at any moment. Every moment in your life, whether you are in a church building or not, is an opportunity to express worship to God. Worship doesn't just happen in a church building. It can happen in an office building. It can happen on your job site. I mean, really. God created you. He made you exactly how you are. He gifted you. He wired you. The talents you have are because of him. And so what if he made you to work? And what if by bringing our best to our work, it's a way to worship him? I mean, what if really... At the deepest level, you're not working for your boss, Jim, you're working for Jesus. And so bringing your best to your work, whatever that is, is a way to express worship to your God. Because worship doesn't just happen in a church building, it can happen in your home. I mean, it can be your chore list. Those of you who are kids, teenagers, I mean, I'm talking about cleaning your room, vacuuming the den, and emptying the dishwasher. What if your chores are not just a way to get your mom off your back and to earn $10? What if it's worship? What if in the attitude that you bring or don't bring to your chores, you're offering yourself as a sacrifice in worship to your God? Worship doesn't just happen in a church building. It can happen on the freeway. I mean, there you are, driving your car. You're in the passing lane. You're passing a semi. And right behind you, I'm like nine inches behind you, is this black truck. And oh, yeah, ah, there's the headlight flash. Okay, this guy's in a hurry. Now, maybe his wife's in labor. 
Maybe he's late for his best friend's wedding, or perhaps he's just an impatient jerk. And everything in you wants to tap the brakes, send a little message, and maybe just have him ride behind you for two or perhaps 200 miles. <laughs> I'm telling you, driving can be worship. What if self-control behind the wheel is a way to express your devotion to God? So this idea of spiritual sacrifices and living sacrifices, all of life is spiritual and every moment is an opportunity to worship God. But the thing is, if you live this way, I mean, if you start bringing your best in worship to your sports and to your work and to your parenting, people are gonna notice. It's gonna be like, dude, you are bringing it in practice. It's like, wow, I can, I can see a change in your attitude. I, man, your work is so important to you, it's so obvious. And then the follow-up, what's up with that? Why? And that brings you to an opportunity. And that opportunity is actually the third purpose of a temple, third purpose that we have as the temple of God known as the church, and that is to declare. The temple was all about declaring the greatness of God to all the people surrounding. And so again, Peter, he says to them, this is a little later in the chapter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now this is very interesting because this is a quotation from the book of Exodus. This is what God said to his people at Sinai when he was calling them to be his people. And just a map, again, to remind you that he was calling them to right there at a crossroads of the world so that he could use them and use his temple to declare to all people. And again, uh, let me show you this. From the prophet Isaiah, God said through his prophet, my house, speaking of the temple, will be called a house of prayer for who? All Nations, God's intention always was to use Israel and his temple to call, to declare to all people who he is and that he wants to be known. And what's so interesting is that Peter is taking that mission that God gave to Israel and now he's applying it to the church. He's applying it to you. You and I are the temple of God. And we are called to declare the greatness of God to the world around us. And how exactly do we do that? Look at what Peter says. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare, there's our word, the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. What does it look like to declare? to declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. I wonder, what darkness has Jesus called you out of? I mean, for them, his original audience, it was the darkness of paganism, worshiping gods of stone, out of the darkness of hopelessness, out of the darkness of, of slavery to sin and death, and into the wonderful light of Christ. What darkness has he called you out of? I believe that all across our church, God is calling people out of darkness and into his wonderful light. In fact, there are just tons of stories 
that I could share with you. I'll give you a couple. This is Michael, baptized just last month. Michael would say his words that he was called out of the darkness of substance abuse, unhealthy relationships, and into his wonderful light where he is experiencing unconditional love in Christ. This is Jason. Jason said that God called him out of the darkness of drugs, lies, and jail cells. God brought to him a pastor in his jail cell to, to share with him the message of Jesus, and he placed his faith in Christ and began to follow. Out of the darkness and into his wonderful life where he is experiencing a new start in Christ. And this is Michelle. Now, Michelle's story is like a lot of ours. Grew up in church, knows the stories, familiar with Jesus, but just went through a season of what she would call rebellion and disobedience. And Jesus called her out of that darkness into his wonderful light where she says she is experiencing beauty from the ashes because of Jesus. And this is Kara. Kara's story is that Jesus is calling her out of the darkness of fear and anxiety and into his wonderful light where she is experiencing peace in Christ. And that's their stories of how God is calling them out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And they declared that story by being baptized. What's Jesus calling you out of? What darkness has he called you out of? And who do you need to tell that story to? Who needs to hear it? I believe God is calling every single one of us to declare what he has done and declare what he is doing. And you might be going, well, how do I do that? Well, I got one very simple way. <laughs> do what they did. Get baptized. I mean, just understand, Jesus commanded all of us who are followers to be baptized, to declare to the people around us, I am a Jesus follower, and this is what he has done in my life. And so I, I would encourage you, have you been baptized? Get baptized. Invite your friends. Invite your family. Boom. Now you're declaring the greatness of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so if you haven't been baptized, I mean, pull out your phone, go to adabible.info, click this weekend, click baptism, start a conversation with somebody from our staff about what it looks like to get baptized. I'm telling you, I would love to see hundreds of us be baptized over the coming months, declaring to friends and family and everybody around us the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So here we are at the conclusion of this series called The Church. And just uh, four images as we close. There's a big difference between going to church and being part of a family. Just a massive difference between, oh, I go to church and belonging to a body. A world of difference between, oh yeah, yeah, I go to such and such church and understanding you are the bride of Christ, so desperately loved by him. And just a night and day difference between, yeah, yeah, I go to church and we are the temple of God. 
And God has called us to this incredible privilege and responsibility to represent him and declare him to the world. And so my encouragement for us is let's step into what God is calling us to be as his church. And as we close, I would love to pray for you. And so, Heavenly Father, uh, we just pause to thank you for calling us to be your church, to be your people. And God, we recognize as we close out this series that this is a significant calling. And God, would you enable us, would you empower us to be the church that you desire us to be in West Michigan? May we share your love and your truth with the people around us. God, we're so grateful for who you are and what you are doing in and through us. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here today. So good to open the scriptures with you. And uh, hope to see you next week as we kick off a brand new series, Navigating Emotions. We'll see you next time.